Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. For the last four weeks, and I promise you this is the end, right? But for the last four weeks, we've been looking at what makes Meriden Community Church what it is. We've been looking at the culture of this place. And so we talked about right at the very start that everything has a culture. Every country has a culture. The first time you ever got onto a plane and flew internationally, you were aware of that, that you got out of this metal tube and you ended up in a place that looked different to the place that you were from. It sounded different. Perhaps the language was different, but perhaps the accents were different. The foods were different. The smells were different because every country has its own culture, its way of doing things, which sometimes seem very different to the way that we do them, right? And so every country has a culture, but also every family has a culture. If you don't believe me, then just reflect back on your first year of marriage when you were coming together, two civilizations, two people from two families, two backgrounds with two totally different cultures. And in that first 12 months, you were having a clash of civilizations, right? That would be helpful to call pre-marriage counseling that, the clash of civilizations. And if you make it through that first year, you were supposed to be married, right? Because you worked out that there was like cloths that you should use in the kitchen and ones that you shouldn't use in the kitchen. And there was like, you know, some people when they're cooking, cook and and they're cleaning as they cook, which is a really convenient and kind way to be able to cook. Other people, they just use every utensil in the kitchen. They leave it all over the bench, right? So, so, So every family has its own culture. Every person has their own culture. Culture is simply this. Culture is the way things happen around here. And so we've been talking about what makes MCC, what defines the culture of MCC. And here's the truth. The culture is not this way because I say that it is so. The culture is this way if we make it so, right? Because you don't build culture, you be it. That that culture ultimately is the way that you and I agree to be able to live our lives in a way that honors God. And so for us, that culture comes from a statement that Jesus makes in John chapter 10 and verse 10. Jesus says this. He says, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come. Jesus is underscoring his purpose in coming to planet Earth. But he's also defining for us the four values that make MCC what it is. Jesus said, but I have come that they might have life and life to the full. And in those In that one statement, Jesus is underlining four values. Firstly, Jesus says, I have come. In other words, that we would be a proactive group of people. That we wouldn't be waiting on our heels reactionary. No, we would be proactive. We would be leadership orientated. We would be initiative taking. We would try things and fail and then try some other things and see if they work as well. Right, that we would be a proactive group of people, not the kind of people who are defined by what they can't do. No, we're people of faith. And so we know that even though we have limitations, we serve a God who has unlimited resources and power. And so we're the kind of can-do people of faith. We see that reflected in Jesus, that God wasn't waiting for us to make our way to him. Instead, God took the initiative, didn't he? And he made his way to us by sending his son. If God were waiting for us to make our way to him, he would still be waiting. But God took the initiative. God is by his nature proactive. Jesus said, I have come that you might have, that in everything we do, that we might be others focused. That that in every element that we constantly be thinking, all right, what is this like for the person who's here for the first time? 
in terms of the way we run events or the, or the way that we do church or, or the way we host things in the center or, or, or even the things that we do that, that aren't even at 70 Springs Drive, they're beyond 70 Springs Drive. How, how can we be others focused? That the church ought to be unique in society because every organization in our community exists for its members except for the church. The church is the one organization that exists for its non-members. The whole reason for doing this is actually because there are people who don't yet know that there's a God who loves them. They don't yet know that there's a God who's able to forgive them and restore right relationship and give them the life they always dreamed of, a life that's right. And so that we'd be others focused. Jesus said, I've come proactive that you might have others focused life, that we would be life giving, that there would be something about the DNA of this place that that gives life that finds people coming back because they're like, there's just something different about you guys. I don't know how to explain it. I can't quite put my finger on it, but there's just something different about you. If you've received the life that comes through through Jesus Christ, then, then shouldn't you have life, therefore, to be able to give like that? Shouldn't we exhibit a forgiveness and a grace that becomes appealing in a culture that doesn't understand those kinds of concepts? That we would be life giving, that we wouldn't become religious or stuck or focused on the way things used to be. No, we would be life-giving. And then today's the last part of this, because Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life to the full. Here's the fourth value that we're looking at today. It's to be a generous church. I love this about God, that God isn't the God of nearly enough or just enough, he's the God of more than enough. That God by his nature is generous. That God by his nature is a giver. And so when we look at this value, what what does it mean to be a generous church? I want you to hear me really clearly because for some people, if you've been around church or perhaps you've had a negative experience in church, then you might be thinking, is is this about money? This is not about money. This is about a way that you see the world and a way that you live your life, right? Because you're going to be generous with all different kinds of things, with your time and with your talents and with your resources. And yes, with finance, but but actually generosity is a way that you see the world. And so what does it mean to be a generous church? I love this quote by Rick Warren. He, He says, generosity is love in action. I love that definition. That generosity is love in action. That you can give without loving but you cannot love without giving. That that if I'm not generous, that I'm actually not demonstrating love. This is important because when we talk about the word love, that's almost a word that is lost in our culture. When we talk about pop culture, when we talk about love, right? When you think about the songs that are on mainstream radio that are about love, that they're not actually about something but love, right? They're about lust, They're about something else because lust is about you getting something, but love is about you giving something. And so the basic definition of generosity is this, is that generosity is love in action. When you look at the the whole breadth of Scripture and look at key words in the Bible, you know, the word believe occurs 272 times in the Bible. That's an important word, to believe. The word prayer 
in the Bible occurs 371 times. That's a pretty important word too, prayer. 371 times, love. Love is an important word in Scripture. Love appears in the Bible 714 times. 714 times the word love is mentioned in Scripture. Do you know the word give is mentioned 2,152 times? Why? Because God by His nature is a giver. That those verses are not about us giving things to God. It's about God giving to us. That God by His nature demonstrates His love. Isn't that what the Scripture says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8? But God demonstrates His love in this, that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, that God demonstrates His love, right, in action by giving everything, not withholding anything, not even His own Son. And so what does it mean to be a generous church? Well, here's three thoughts for this morning. Here's the first one. Generosity is about doing things well with whatever you have got to give. Generosity is about doing things well with whatever you've got to be able to give. It's about being a church that actually pursues excellence. Booker T. Washington said this about excellence. He said, excellence is to do a common thing in an uncommon way. That excellence is different to perfection, right? Because perfection is about getting everything perfect, but excellence is not about perfection. Excellence is about doing the very best you can with what you've got and a little bit of faith. That's what excellence is. And so I pray that in everything we do, that we would be generous in the things that we do, because if love is in the details, then we ought to do those details excellently. And so Adrian puts together a connect table, but rather than just putting out a few pieces of paper on the table, decides, you know what, we, we can make this look a whole lot more interesting. In fact, we, we can make little individual cards for each of the different connect groups. And, and then we can put some like flowers and things like that on the table. And then we can make it interesting by having dynamics. So there'd be like layers to the table rather than just one table. And rather than just being a plastic table, let's put the tablecloth on the table and, and, and take something that's actually just really simple and really practical, but do it in a way that's really excellent. That's just one example, and I didn't even know that was happening this morning. I realized that about the same time that you all realized when you walked past that table that that's how that was being presented today, but what is that? That's excellence. That's doing the very best you can with what you've got. That's putting details into it because details show love. Andre Olivier said this about excellence. He said, the difference between excellence and mediocrity is effort. Just a little bit of effort is the difference between something being average and something being extraordinary. I pray that when people ever come into contact with you and I, they would say, there's something extraordinary about those guys. It's just maybe it's in the details. Maybe it's just in the way they do it. It's not not so much what they do. It's the way that they do it. And so what does it mean to be a generous church? It means to be a church that actually pursues excellence, that does the very best with what's in our hand. Here's the, here's the second thought. The generosity is doing, the, is doing things well with whatever you have to give. But here's the second one. Generosity is an attitude long before it is an action. 
generosity is about pursuing excellence. That, that's true. But generosity is also a mindset. Generally, when we think of generosity, we think about it as an amount because we associate it with money. But this is not about money, right? This is about being generous with the details of your life, being generous with what God has entrusted to you. Your time is a part of that. And so oftentimes when we think about generosity, we think about it as an amount. We think about it in terms of money. But actually long before, long before generosity is an action, it's actually an attitude. Proverbs 22 verse 9 says this. He says, it says, He who has a generous eye will be blessed. For he gives of his bread to the poor. He who has a generous eye. The Bible says that generosity is actually an eye. It's a way that you see the world. It's a, it's a mindset. It's a perspective. And so for you and I, generosity can be something we struggle with if we always think we never have enough. You'll never be generous whilst ever you think, I don't have enough. I just don't have enough time for that. I, I just don't have enough time. And, and if that's my mindset that I, I just don't have enough time, then it'll be impossible for me to ever be generous with my time because my mindset is that I don't have enough. You can apply that to any area of your life, but whilst ever you have the mindset, I don't have enough, you'll find that it's almost impossible for generosity to flow. For generosity to flow in your life, you've got to believe that you have more than enough rather than not enough, right? You'll never be generous whilst you're always aware of what you don't have rather than being grateful for what you do have. Generosity flows out of a heart of gratitude, right? Grateful for what I do have grateful for the time I do have. I don't have all the talents, but I'm grateful for the talents God has given me. I don't have all the resources, but I'm grateful for the resources that God has given me. And whilst ever there's gratitude in your heart, generosity flows, but the minute you become more aware of what you don't have than grateful for what you do have, generosity shrivels up. Think about it this way. You'll never be generous whilst the things you have have you. Because generosity is not about what you have or what you don't have. Generosity is about a perspective on those things. Some of you still aren't convinced. I'll, I'll give you another illustration. When I proposed to Elise, um, uh, I proposed to her on a boat. And, and part of the reason for that is I was trying to think of ways to be able to propose that would be really memorable. Um, some of you have read Elise's book. In fact, Caleb Baker has been fact-checking the book because he's been reading it. To, to work out which parts of the story are true. They're all true. But I, I wanted to propose to Elise in a way that's memorable because for since I was young, my mom had drilled into me that, that you only get to propose once, right? So make it memorable, make it a story that she wants to be able to tell. And, and the reason for that is because my dad proposed to my mom whilst they were driving to a friend's barbecue and he leaned over and said, we'll get married in June, hey? And so, <laughs> and so for my, so for my brother and I, this is kind of drilled into us. And so I, I thought of different ways I could propose. And I thought about doing it in a hot air balloon. I thought, imagine if you dropped the ring from a hot air balloon and then you couldn't find it. So that, that wouldn't be good. And, 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 and so I wanted to propose on a boat. And there was a guy who was in the church that I'd grown up in who had this really lovely boat. And he'd asked my parents if Elise and I were engaged yet. 
And they told me, so I called him. I said, hey, Peter, I heard you're inquiring about whether or not we're um, engaged here. I really would love to propose on a boat. And so I want to put an idea to you, see if you'd be interested. And so I said, I'd be happy to, to pay for a skipper to be able to charter you, but he had a, like a 50-foot Riviera Skybridge, three bedrooms, granite kitchen, like amazing boat, right? And I'd be happy to pay for a skipper to be able to take that out, and, and, but I'd really love to be able to propose to Elise as a memorable thing on a boat. And, uh, and he said to me, he said, well, you've got your boat license, don't you? I said, yeah, I've had it since I was 16. He said, well, well, why don't I take you out? I'll show you how to use it. You can take the boat. At 24, I didn't really think about that. Now at 36, I'm like, I can't believe, I would never say yes to that now, right? Even if it was like, you can take the boat. I'm like, no, I don't want to take the boat. I don't but at 24, I was like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. And so, and so we went out on a Thursday afternoon and, and he took me out from the, from the marina in Townsville and went out, showed me around, bow thrusters, stern thrusters. And when you get to a boat of that size, it actually becomes a little bit easier than having like twin outboards and whatever, because you get bow and stern thrusters and all these different things and Anyway, he did a really good job of explaining through the boat and how to be able to take it out. And, and, then, the, and then the deal was set, right? He said, um, tomorrow morning, I'll send you an email with all the things we talked about. Then on Saturday night, I would take Elise out. And I'd, we went down to the marina and, and did that. On the Friday morning after he'd taken me out, I'm reading through the email in my office. And as I'm reading through, I'm like, I feel like I've got this. Like, he did a really good job of explaining it. And yep, I remember that part and that part. Yeah, that's good. And and I actually read sort of half the email and then just sort of stop. I'm like, I feel like I've got a good handle on how to do this. Anyway, the Saturday night rolls around and, and we go down to the marina and lo and behold, the gate is open and we go down and the deal was that he would have the boat running and so the boat is tied off but it's running. It's got these incandescent blue lights at the back of the hull and we get on board the boat. Elisa's recollection of when we get engaged is, is that I propose, she says yes and I'm like, awesome, let's take the boat out. And... And so we untie, and, and for out from Townsville, there's a short trip out to an island called Magnetic Island. And so I propose, we jump into the boat, we take off and, and head out to Magnetic Island. I call Peter from Horseshoe Bay and say, hey, we're anchored. The boat's completely fine. It's going really well. Drive the boat back, back it in. He ties it off at midnight. I take Elise home. And on Monday morning, I'm reading through my emails, and I read the rest of Peter's email. And at the bottom of the email, he says to me, he, he's written, I've just remembered that I've shown you how to do this in the afternoon, but you're going to be taking out at nighttime. I haven't shown you any of the nighttime navigation stuff and getting in and out of the channel can be tricky with the rock wall. So maybe just take it out the front, but don't go all the way to the island. So I call him and I'm like, Peter, I'm really sorry. I must admit, I didn't read your whole email, but this morning I read the last part. You know I went to Horseshoe Bay. Like, I called you from Horseshoe Bay to tell you the boat was in safe anchorage and stuff. And Peter was great. He said, ah, Dan, if I was you, I would have taken the boat out too. Peter had a really lovely boat, but his boat didn't have him. For contrast, I had a friend at the same time who had like a $3,000 red Ford Focus, and no one could touch that car. No one was allowed to drive the Ford Focus. Do you see what I'm saying? It's one thing to have things. It's another thing for things to have you, right? Generosity is not about what you have. Generosity is about what has you, right? And, and so one person is generous with something that actually they could really quite hold on to. And the other person's got a $3,000 Ford Focus that really you could be very generous with that. But, but it's not about what you've got, it's about what's got you, 
And so generosity is, is about doing the very best you can with what you've got. Like if it's worth doing, then it's worth doing well. It's worth trying to exceed people's expectations. But also generosity is an attitude long before it's an action. And so as the kind of people that we want to be, we want to be generous people. But we don't want to be the kind of people who always see what we don't have. We want to be the kind of people who are grateful for what we do have, right? But we want to be the kind of people who aren't holding on to things so tightly, right, that that we can't be generous with them, with our time, right, with our energy, with our passions, right, with all of which God has entrusted to us. And here's the third thought here, that ultimately what generosity is, is that generosity is doing more than is expected. Generosity is about going the extra mile. Generosity is about putting in just a little more effort. Generosity is is about taking into account just an extra detail that nobody else noticed. Generosity is about going the extra mile. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this in verse 38. He says, You've heard that it was said, an eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. That Jesus is explaining what, what people who are part of the kingdom of God are like. And this is how he explains it. And one of the things he says is that if someone asks you to go one mile, go with them too. Which is almost one of those things that's a little bit lost on us because we're not from the first century. But for those who are hearing this in the first century, they know exactly what Jesus is talking about. Because in the first century, under Roman occupation, one of the requirements was that if a, a Roman soldier or officer asked you to be able to carry something for them, then you were legally obliged to do that for one mile. They couldn't ask you to carry it any longer than that, but, but you were obliged to be able to carry it one mile. There's this, like, this part of the culture slips even into Jesus' story, because do you remember when Jesus is carrying his cross, Right? That when Jesus is carrying his cross, that that he comes to the point where he physically can't carry it anymore. And they ask Simon of Cyrene to to be able to take the cross and carry it. Why? Because it was a part of the culture in the first century that if you were asked by a Roman officer or guard to be able to carry something, then you were required to do it, but only for one mile. And Jesus says, if you're asked to carry something for one mile, do you you want to know a, a way of living that honors God? Try this. Rather than just carrying it one mile, carry it two. Why? Because for every step in that second mile, that person is thinking to themselves, why are they doing this? Like, they're not, they're not, they're not required to do this. Like, why are they doing that? And, and so Jesus is really exemplifying, if you're going to live a way that honors God, live in a way that causes your generosity to make others question what's different. Jesus says, if you're asked to go one mile, then, then go two. John Wesley put it this way. He said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can.
And so my prayer for MCC is that we'd be a church that would be proactive and we would be others-focused and we would be life-giving, but also that we would be generous. Because here's the truth that I found in my life, and I'm sure you've got stories that fit this as well, that more often than not, it's generosity that unlocks people's hearts. If you've ever done anything truly generous for a person, then you know that it's in the act of generosity that unlocks people's hearts because it's so countercultural. In a world that's obsessed with self, generosity, gratitude, right, is so countercultural that it unlocks people's hearts. Think about it even in your own life. At different times when people have been generous to you and, and what happened in your own heart, in your own life when that happened. Because in the act of generosity, it unlocked something in your own heart as well. And generosity becomes incredibly important for us as a church because it's in our generosity that you and I have the opportunity to be able to share the reason why we are a church that you wouldn't expect. It's in our giving, it's in our generosity that we reflect God's heart more than at any other time. Think about this, right? The scripture that that if you've been around church for any length of time, then you probably know. John chapter 3 and verse 16, that for God so loved the world that he gave. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Do you know it's actually in the act of giving that you and I reflect the heart of God more than at any other time in our lives? Because God, by his nature, has been generous towards us. And that generosity unlocked the opportunity for us to be made right with him. Made way for a path of redemption. Because God was so generous, he withheld nothing, not even his own son. And when you and I act as generous people, grateful for what God's given us and generous with what God puts in our hand and in our life and at our disposal, that then you and I not only reflect the heart of God, but we have the opportunity to partner with God to see other people's hearts open. We've been thinking about this in terms of what we do as a center because as a church, we're a church, but we're not the kind of church you would expect. But we're not the kind of church that just meets on Sundays. If you only come on Sundays, you're seeing one-seventh of what we're actually doing, Right? Because we're a church seven days a week. And so we've talked about in terms of all right, in terms of what we do with pastoral care. That, that for pastoral care, we've actually done away with the term pastoral care. We're calling it people care. Because when you say pastoral care, it kind of implies that it's for church people. But we actually would like to be able to care for lots of people, regardless of whether or not they've ever come to our church. And, and so as we would do meals for someone who's had a baby in, in church, and we've done that in the past as a church, why wouldn't we do that exact same thing for people who are in the gym? They've never been to a Sunday service right? That, that, that it might be in something like that, right? Giving a meal to somebody who, who's attending the gym, that it might in that act of generosity lead to another conversation, right? The kind of conversations that we love being able to have. But, but the kind of conversation like, why would you do that? I just go to the gym. Like, why would you, why would you do that? Well, well, there's a reason why we would do that, right? That it might lead to another conversation. That, that, that even when you think about in terms of um, for guys who might be in the gym or perhaps going to the coffee shop or whatever, young couples who are wanting to get married. If they want to get married, who are they going to ask? Maybe the one celebrant they know who's doing squats next to them in the gym earlier on in the day, who can do it for free, 
right? That, that actually this whole thing only works once that cross-pollination begins to happen between what's happening with social sports and what's happening in the gym and what's happening in the cafe and what's happening with crocheting with a cause and all those different things that are happening in the center. But the only way that cross-pollination ever actually takes root is if you and I live our lives in a way that is generous, in a way that is overflowing with our time and with our talent and with our resources and with our love and in every possible way with everything God's placed in our hands. My prayer for our church is that we would be the kind of people who are proactive, others-focused, life-giving, generous that in the way we live our lives, it might cause others to ask, what's different about you guys? And when that moment happens, you and I would have the confidence to be able to share what God has done in our lives. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we pray? Lord, I thank you this morning for every single person who's in this room. And Lord, I pray today that God, you would help us, Lord, help me to live that kind of life, to live a generous life. That God, even with the temptation to be able to look at what we don't have, God, even as a a church and as a center, the, the things that we don't have, God, I pray that we would never, ever stop being grateful for what we do have. God, as individuals, that we'd be that same way. That God, we wouldn't hold on to things so tightly that God, we wouldn't allow you to be able to use them. God, I pray that we would be proactive in everything that we do. That, God, we would be others-focused in everything that we do. That we would be life-giving in everything that we do. And that, God, we would be generous. Lord, I pray that you would establish this, God, as a part of the heartbeat and the culture of this place. And, Lord, I pray you'd help us to be able to live it. That, Holy Spirit, you would lead us. The Holy Spirit, you would put us on mission to live that kind of life. Not just when we walk through the doors here. But God, when we walk into our home, when we're getting our kids ready for school and we're going to school to drop them off, that as we're going along to our university course or to our workplace, that God, we would live this kind of life, that we would be able to reflect what your son Jesus said when he said, I've come, that you might have life and life to the full. That God, you would make us those kind of people, that God, we would become that kind of church. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said... Amen. We're going to finish in just a moment. And just before, we, just before we leave, I want to tell you one last story. And that's because one of the fun things I've had to do in the last little bit is meeting with different groups who've come in to the center who didn't know this thing was here. And for all of them, it's all, like, it's all the same thing. They're like, we didn't even know this was here. And we're like, yes, this is still the best kept secret in Caloundra. But this week, I, um, I met with the guys from Caloundra Basketball. I met the, the head of coaching, the director of coaching for Calandra Basketball, and then the administrator. And for all the groups, I do the same thing, right? Because we're a church, and unapologetically so, right? That's the whole reason why this is, this is here. And I think that's important for us to always protect, but especially now, because we're right at the very start. This is right still in its infancy. And, and everything has the potential to be able to drift in terms of mission, right? Do you know Harvard is a Bible school? The only way you could tell that Harvard is a Bible school now is by their certificates because they still mention Jesus. But the way that Harvard started almost 300 years ago was that a group of local pastors got together and realized that they needed a way to be able to train people for ministry. 
And so they started Harvard as a Bible school. Well, after 50 years of Harvard actually running, the pastors got back together and said, you know what, this thing is mission drifting. This has become way too secular. It's sort of left its reason for actually starting. And so the answer for starting a more biblically-based college, because Harvard seemed to have drifted over its first 50 years, was to start Yale. Now, 250 years later, it's like, really? Those were Bible schools? Right? Because everything has the potential to be able to drift. And so this is one of the things that I hold really dearly because this is one of the things that's so important that, that, that we never lose the fact that this is a church, right? And so, and so for every group that comes in, I get the chance to be able to share. And so I literally preach what I've been preaching to you for the last four weeks. I preach that in about eight and a half minutes, right? And, and so for all of them, the same thing, right? And then I just sort of watch. This is how I know that it's going to be a good partnership or not, right? Because they don't have to believe in Jesus, not yet. They're allowed a few more months before they say yes to him, all right? But at some point, we're getting to that. But, but what I watch is for the whites in their eyes to open, right? Because I go the whole way, right? I'm not like holding back. So I'm talking about Jesus being on the cross and he still has time for a person beside him and, and about how the... So, so I'm, I'm literally, I'm taking them through the scriptures, the whole thing, right? Sometimes I'm hemming it up just to see how far I can get away with it, right? And, and the beautiful thing is they want to be able to use the space. So they're like, mm-hmm, yeah, all right. So... I'm sharing that, and this has happened numbers of times, but this week it happened with Caloundra basketball representatives. And I'm talking to these guys about it and the reason why this is the way and sharing the history of it and, and the heart behind it and the fact that it's a church unapologetically. And, and the lady who's the administrator looks at me and she said, I've never heard anyone talk about Jesus and God like this. This sounds really exciting. Do you have to come along on Sundays to hear more about it? I said, yes. You have to be here at 9.30 and not a minute late. No, that's not what I said. That actually they had come to talk about hiring the, the building, but that conversation for us on Friday morning turned into a conversation about Jesus. That they had come looking for the basketball court, right? But they didn't realize this was part of a setup where God was actually introducing them to something much bigger than just a basketball court in the end of a building right? That you and I ought to live our lives with that kind of boldness. And so I want to encourage you right at the very end of this series, right? To be those kind of people. That, that this isn't the culture of our church because we say that it is so. It's the culture of our church because we make it so. That we would be proactive. That we would take the opportunities that God gives us. That one of the things we ought to pray every single day is, God, help me to see people the way that you see them and help me to see the opportunities to be able to share your love and grace today. That we'd be proactive about that. That we would be others focused. That, that in the way that we live our lives, that our hearts would break for the plight of people, right? That we wouldn't be able to see people in the checkout line at Woolworths the same way that we have that we wouldn't be able to walk past people, that we would be slow enough in the cadence of our life to be able to be others focused, that we would live that. And that's a challenge for me. That's more of a challenge for me than it is for Elise, but it's a thing that I want to be challenged about, that, that we would be life-giving, that we take the opportunities as they present, that when someone is crying in the cafe, talking about the culture and vision of the church, that we wouldn't shy away from that moment, but actually we would lean into that moment and maybe just share a little more that it would be life giving for that person and that we would be generous, that, that, that people wouldn't know about the branding of MCC, they wouldn't care about the logo of MCC, they wouldn't care about the street address of MCC, no one can find it anyway. But I just, 
But they would say, there's something about that church. Because if you go there, they will help you. And if you go there, they'll see you. And if you go there, they'll include you. And that doesn't happen because we say so. That happens because we make it so. And so in typical fashion, right, this whole building is modeled after Nike. That's why we have the orange, the black, and the white. If you've been worrying about the orange, that's where it comes from. I asked Doug about that. I was like, the orange, where's the orange come from? He said, I just thought sports, Nike, orange, black, and white. When Nike was looking for a statement to be able to pin their brand on, they came up with just three words, just do it. And so my encouragement to you is to just do it, to live out the culture of our church and just do it. Lord, I pray your blessing upon every single person today that, God, as we leave here, we might go and be a light in the community and in the places where you've put us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.